You're listening to Music Tectonics. Hey everyone, and welcome to Music Tectonics, the podcast that goes beneath the surface of music and tech. I'm your host for this episode, Tristra Neuer Jaeger, Director of Strategy at Rock, Paper, Scissors, the music innovation PR firm. Today, I'm looking back at the crazy whirlwind that was 2022 with Martin Walraven, who is the co-editor of the Music X newsletter, which you all need to sign up for, by the way, if you don't get it already. It's an amazing read. Martin is also a scholar of the history of sound and head of operations at Symphony, the video platform for streaming orchestral music. Hi, Martin. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to to be back here. You're also a podcast host, we should mention to everyone. Can you give everybody a quick intro to your podcast? Because it's pretty new on the music discussion scene. Yes. So um, I have a podcast called Appetite for Distraction. It's a very recent endeavor, as you say. Um, I was at Future Music Forum in uh, Barcelona uh, in uh, late September. Um, And I did a thing they do there called a mic drop, which is like a short 10-minute um intro like we did together with Yash Bagal um uh, I did uh, that uh, to introduce like the web3 strand of that of that conference um and then afterwards people came up to us and they said that was cool you should do that as a podcast so now we do that as a podcast <laughs> endlessly dropping that mic. Well, cool. I'm really glad you can join me today on our podcast. And I really wanted to dig into some of the stuff you've been exploring and some of your colleagues have been exploring on Music X. Um, And the first thing, I kind of warned you about this because this is a big and somewhat gnarly topic, but there, there are a few buzzwords that have been swarming around in 2022 about, you know, sort of floating in the music innovation of sphere (laughs) among the commentariat. Um, And one of them has been community. So community, I hear that all the time. And I'm wondering if together we could dig in a little bit and talk about what we mean when we say community in music. So how do you usually imagine community? It's kind of a, that's a tough question, but go for it. It is a tough question. (laughs) I'm also probably one of the people that keeps shouting about community. Yeah, Um, exactly. So now, now the, now the, the, the shoes on the other foot, Martin. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think, uh, part of this comes from, um, um, the idea that the, the, the internet is going to uh, uh, give way to much more uh, fairer distribution of, uh, of revenues and of, of possibilities for uh, independent creators, artists. Um, you know, and this goes to that amazing 1000 uh, true fan theory where if everybody would just pay you uh, or if a thousand people would just pay you 10, 10 bucks a month, you would have uh, a good yearly, uh, yearly income that you could live off. Um, the the problem with those theories, and and something that we've been grappling with as a kind of music industry um, for the last couple of years, is how do you find those people, right? And how do they find you? Um, and um, I think when you have them, so when you have a community, then it's really really obvious. Um, and the 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 gnarliness of the of the of the concept is really how do you start one. Um, which is why I always try to encourage people to, to just get started with just a few people um, and just to see how, how you can grow that, right? How do you go from one to two to four to eight to 16? And then when you get to that number, that's sort of when you have to start paying attention to how do you manage those people? How do you manage that community? Um, 
when does it really become a community? Because one of the definitions is that people will start interacting t together, right? Um, you with this podcast have a uh, an audience. Um, I with Music X have an audience. Um, you know, you might get some reactions, but you definitely don't have readers, listeners who um, who start to interact together and and come up with new ideas um, of stuff that they could do. And that's sort of when a, when a community really becomes a community when that when that starts happening, um, and um, you can plan for that and you can do a lot of things for that. But in the end, it's down to the people that are in there um, to make that work. Um, and then you know the, it's up to them as well to start bringing in new people. And then you get a little bit of that network effect, um, and that's when a community can really start to grow um, and flower. I love that you're kind of bringing up this idea of maybe seeding a community. So whether we're talking about, you know, running a business or doing a creative project, how have you seen some interesting approaches to that sort of seeding? So like laying the groundwork. So if people do engage with what you're putting out there, stuff starts to take off. If you look at sort of independent musicians who are doing this on their own, um, for them, it's 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 really about sort of their creative process because it has to fit within that process, right? So if you're somebody who likes to share a lot about what you're doing, then that's probably where you would start, right? It's like, hey, I'm in the studio, I'm making some new music. Um, you know, you're sharing some videos, you're sharing uh, some audio, you're sharing some photos, that sort of stuff. Um, if you're more somebody who doesn't share so easily, then, um, you know, maybe you could do something totally different like, um, ask for uh, ask for people to share what they're doing, right? Um, and then, yeah, that's sort of uh, m multiple ways that you can sort of start seeding that um, that enthusiasm and those reactions among those people. Um, but yeah, you just need you really just need a couple to get started, and I think that's super important to realize um, that you you can just start a community with just a few people and then you'll see as well when you have more people in your community that you'll have smaller groups that start to sort of coalesce and become these these little groups of like three four or five people that you may have had in the beginning um, and that will then go and do stuff on on their own you know to support whatever it is that you're doing once you have things started, once things have started to take off in this little community, and maybe you even have a few groups that have coalesced, what can you do as an artist or as a creative person to keep giving giving people more of what they might be able to use to continue that community? How can you nurture that community? Um, again, I think this is very personality dependent. You'll find, hopefully, that you have one or two people in your community who will also help you with this, um, who will ask other people how they're doing. Um, and um, I don't know, I'm, I'm reminded of uh, Black Dave, who is uh, a rapper who is quite well known in the whole uh, music NFT ecosystem. Mm -hmm. um, because when you, so he has a social token, um, so there's no monetary value attached to it. Um, it's purely about status. Um, it's purely about status and um, you get that even when you're in his discord you can get that token by just asking other people genuinely how how are you doing you know um, so I think that after maybe not even that many people 
maybe when you get to like 10 people, you will already have other people in the in that group who will also start to uh, seed the uh, the reactions from from the rest. So basically, Black Dave has set it up so you're supposed to just reach out to another random person in the community and be like, hey, what's up? And that's how you get the social token? That's already how you can get the social token. I There's many it. other ways, yeah. but that's just one of them. That's yeah. really cool. And that's like a, such a small little little thing that, um, you know, when people talk about things like utility and community, especially in Web3, I, it's easy to miss how simple it can be and how human, right? It feels like super accessible and uh, super, just, just really friendly and kind of fun. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I mean, it should be playful in a way as well. And um, not to use like a massively big word, but um, <laughs> you you could think about gamification, right? You could mm -hmm. think about gamifying all of that stuff a little bit um, so that it's fun for people to do, um, so that it triggers, you know, their brains and, and all these, these things that are happening there so that they will get like happy reactions when, uh, when, uh, when they do something or when other people do something and they can participate in it. Um, and, you know, I don't want to start overthinking that so, too much, but um, <laughs> there are plenty of ways uh, to, that you can do that, right? And um, a lot of social tokens should do that because there is no real monetary value attached to them. So you need to kind of, you can express status with that. And maybe, you know, there is, there's thing issues around governance that you can vote on using those tokens. But mostly, you know, it's just sort of a fun way to, to interact with each other. And, you know, uh, you can go down the route of like, hey, but I have more than you. And, <laughs> you know, it's, it's all, <laughs> yeah. it, 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 a lot of things go um, when, when you go down that route. Well, I also think there's a lot of um, human human needs or human interests that can, you know, a lot of itches that can be scratched by these social tokens that say governance may not have as much attraction for. Like, right, so people aren't, as, it's not as appealing for people to be like, I am going to vote on a proposal. For, I mean, maybe for some people that's exciting. I think that's, they're probably a small minority of humanity but most humans love either competition or fun ways that they can kind of map their own progress or interesting, you know, just just, just getting a sense of like we're doing something together and there are these stages that we're going through. Um, I think that's a really cool thing to point out that is not was widely discussed, at least in the general music innovation of sphere. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we see this in, in, the, in the major fandoms as well, mm -hmm. right? I mean, mm -hmm. if you look at the beehive or the swifties or the army or or what you know you name them every major pop artist has one yeah um then um th there's always people who say but why did they do it they don't get anything out of it i was like well they get a lot of satisfaction out of it absolutely you know and i, I don't know like what hobby do you have um <laughs> you know and, and how much money do you spend on that hobby this is sort of super similar to that and and you know these super fans just get that satisfaction out of it um and then when you go back to the kind of the more independent artists then you you think okay so you know you want to nurture those super fans but you also want to make sure that there's like a revenue model coming out of that you know you have to think about sort of the financialization of that fandom because it's supposed to sustain you and your creativity um moving forward right 
it's interesting to think about what people get out of it. And in the end, I mean, it really tight fandoms, like if we're talking about, you know, historically, the Grateful Dead or the Juggalos more recently, it almost functions like a mutual aid society. So once a fan identifies another fan, they will let you, you can surf, you know, you can couch surf, you can write to get a ride to a show. Um, They'll give you a meal. Like there's all sorts of sort of, you know, aid going around like almost almost uh the it should be it should be the envy of a lot of leftist organizers <laughs> for example yeah, the way exactly. the way some of this all comes together yeah pe- people like to do stuff for each other and and um you know if if, if you don't know somebody and, and you're walking across the street and they say like hey can i do something for you you probably go like oh no but if, <laughs> if you both happen to be wearing you know um the same baseball cap from the same band then you'd probably go like oh hey you know i like the grateful dead too or i like Mm -hmm. i don't know the rolling stones as well you know whatever yeah so let's take it back even a little bit further i know you've done some research into working class communities and how sound and music played a role in their formation and i'm wondering if there are some things from the past that we can pull out and present to the future. Web3 sometimes, and a lot of technical innovate, technological innovation has a tendency to have this sort of a historic, almost like this innovation fallacy, right? Where they're like, oh, this is, this is all new. This has never been done before. This is this whole big new thing. And, and that may be like a byproduct of just the sheer enthusiasm that you need to have as someone spearheading a new technology or pushing for its uh, greater integration into social practice or whatever. Um, but I, I think that there is a lot of history and backstory to this idea of community. Obviously, that has not that's not widely brought into the conversation. And so I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, Martin, as a, as a fellow historian and say, like, are there some things that have come to mind? I mean, we've talked a little bit um, back and forth about the co-op movement in the 19th century. Are there some other things that sort of we can look back to for historical reference and maybe for some ideas or um, better understanding of how these communities function? Um. <laughs> so, I mean, if you are talking about DAOs, you know, decentralized autonomous organizations, you have to understand cooperatives um, because they're basically the same thing mm-hmm. in a new jacket. Um, and if you think about other other examples, I mean, th- there's so many examples of, of people organizing themselves um, in local environments, right? And I think that's that's sort of, an important part. So if you look at those working class communities that I looked at in my PhD, um, they all worked in the same far uh, in the same um, in the same mines or in the mm-hmm. same uh, factories, and they were faced with the same problems. And they worked together to find not ways to solve those problems because they didn't have enough, you know, strength in the whole power dynamic relationship mm-hmm. that that existed to actually to actually change that. But they made workarounds. And people are just really good at that, especially when they work together. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, one of the things I showed is that in those factories in Manchester in the UK, it was super loud. And where historians have always said, you know, bunch of white noise, period. Um, <laughs> I started to research sort of the acoustics and the way that people behaved in there and um, the way that these machines worked and then was able to show that... Um, people could hear whether their machine was functioning correctly. And they would also hear when it wasn't functioning correctly. 
So they would they would pay attention to the sound, but then were able to do other things to communicate with people that were around them. Um, and it's a super basic example, of course. Um, and I think that when you then take those notions and those ideas to where we live now in a super digital age, that's when you kind of see, you know, that the issue of, of local change is quite a lot, yeah, because we're on the internet mm -hmm. and we have all these new media as our infrastructure um, around which we kind of coalesce. But whether it's Discord or Twitter or Lens or whatever it is, you know, there's always something where you can create this this feeling of localness to other people. Um, and it's it's something that's super necessary for a community to start to, to seeds to come out um, and to grow. I love it. So the digital proximity effect. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Well, that is a lot to think about. And we're going to take a quick break to let people ponder <laughs> that. We'll be right back in just a second. What's up, beautiful listeners? I've got a question for you. What do you want to hear next? Let me know at pages.musictectonics.com slash feedback. Suggest future guests and music tech topics you want to hear us cover and tell us how we're doing. Again, that's pages.musictectonics.com slash feedback. Look forward to hearing from you. Okay, we're back. We're back here with Martin Walraven. And now I'd love to talk to you a little bit more, Martin, about what's going on from an artist's perspective. On this podcast, we talk a lot about tech, about innovation, often from a more, you know, platform, uh, you know, music making type perspective, but we don't get a lot of time to talk about artists per se. So you've, you've written a lot about that in the last couple months. And honestly, just looking back at 2022, it, we seem to be in a, one of those kind of Dickensian moments, meaning it's the best of times and the worst of times for musicians and for artists and producers and songwriters. So, you know, what gives? What, what's going on? What might change and bring us to a better future where we land more on the best of times side? Oh, gosh, that's a big question. Yeah. You know, just can you solve all the music business problems, please? <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's a lot of potential for things to get better or at least there's a lot of opportunities for people to to make their own path right mm -hmm. um and uh to do that in a way that they have ownership over what they do um and they have ownership over over where their um their music goes um and etc etc but then when you talk about the sort of the worst of times part that's probably more in the sense that you know how do we make sure that we don't fall into the same sort of systems that we already have, right? And the music industry is, yeah, I mean, how should I say this? The, <laughs> we, we have a lot of, um, there's a lot of centralization of power, right? Mm -hmm. Historically in the music industry. And um, there's a lot of talk now about decentralization. Um, but we also know that a lot of this decentralized platforms are um, not necessarily super decentralized, right? They, there's still a lot of centralization going on there. Um, and I mean, if, if anybody listening is super interested in that, definitely um, look into what, what Blair Michael has been, been, been writing and, and, and sharing about this. We need to make sure that we don't fall back into the, the sort of the traps that we've set 
in the last couple of decades um, in the music business. Um, yeah, I, I think you're bringing up a really good point, Martin, which is there's often there's this weird dynamic where on the one side you have the people who are in power and there's a certain amount of inertia and also lack of recognition, perhaps, of how powerful they are, right? They don't see themselves as ex as exercising power, even though they, they are exercising power. On the other hand, you have folks, say, coming from the web free space who are like, yay, oh my gosh, decentralization is magic. It's gonna, it's like this sort of, you know, I don't know, philosopher's stone that's gonna unlock all this cool stuff if only we can decentralize. But if you take the power understanding out of it, not to be too like, get get all Michel Foucault here. But like, you know, if you take the power understanding out of it, you don't have a way to actually un unpack the power and, you know, distribute it, right? Like, I guess I, I hope this is making sense. But you see what I'm getting at? Like, there's a lot of sort of enthusiasm on one side that's sort of like, if we only decentralize, you know, magically, power will no longer be a real issue. Or, and it'll all just sort of magically sort of flow out to the people who are creating things, for example. And on the other hand, you have this incredible uh, institutional uh, inertia that may or may not want to cede power, but doesn't even want to admit that it has power per se. Yeah, or, you know, and, and if you look at the major labels, they, they're definitely happy to say that they have power. Um, but then if you, if you look at the way that they engage with new technologies, um, you know they're they're so big that they can just say, "I'm going to set up a sub label to explore this," mm -hmm. and well, screw it. So <laughs> you end up in situations where, you, like, I was in the uh, in the launch of probably a label, the whole Warner thing. Mm -hmm. um, so this is Warner's play into Web three, and they do this launch, and it's on Twitter Spaces, and there's there's quite a lot of people there. So that's good. There's excitement, um, and then they they don't use the word music. They hardly used the word music and they kept talking about intellectual property and saying things like, hey, you know, come and pitch us your intellectual property. Weird. And then you go like, mm. you know, <laughs> music is a bit more than that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and and the people who create it, the, the musicians are also, you know, you start undervaluing them if, if you only say that they create intellectual property. Um, and then, you know, you see that as well in the hyperbole that sits around all the AI stuff that is happening right now, mm -hmm. um, where, you know, you have all these people saying, well, that's it. There we go. We're now, we now have super intelligent AI and they're going to take all our jobs. And it, the, there's so much devaluation of what humans do and what artists do in that sort of thinking. And that riles me up. <laughs> I, I completely understand. Um, what always gets me, Martin, is this sort of lack of understanding of, you know, AI AI can spit out some tones and, um, you know, maybe add some chords, do some cool stuff. However, the people who make the meaning are the listeners, right? And so if, you know, you can, you can have AI kind of put stuff together, but without that, without that sort of relationship between the the sound and the listener, there's nothing, right? It has no meaning. It, it it's it's sort of bizarre that we're focused so much on the production of the sound itself and not on the production of the music, which is the meaning, right? Yeah, I mean that you're totally right. You know, the the the, the meaning exists in the in the relationship that people get with the music. As an artist, you can write a song. And you can put it out and then somebody can listen to it and take something totally different from it. Mm -hmm. And that's cool. You know, that's that's fantastic. That's how that stuff works. Um, that's why we all love music so much, because we can also put our own emotions in there. And we don't just necessarily have to be 
taking the prescriptive, you know, this is a song about, you know, my grandfather dying and um, somebody listens to it and thinks, oh, this is the best love song ever. (laughs) Or, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, that's the cool thing about music in particular is it is not, it can have many, many layers of meaning much more easily than um, some other like artistic media. Yeah. And I mean, this is always where, um, where the hope sits as well, right? For the, for for the, just go back to your question about the best of times, mm. um, is that as long as we can create those uh, those spaces where um, the 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 artist and the music they make can find the people that want to listen to it, um, I think that's just going to stay the biggest sort of problem that we all want to solve in the next couple of years as well. You know, it's the issue of discovery. Mm-hmm. So how do you find all those many, many people that make music, because there are so many people that make music. Yeah, You know, there's 100,000 tracks released every day on TSPs. There's millions and millions and millions and millions of projects started every uh, month on, you know, apps like BandLab. And, um, you know, there's now, there's so many tools out there for people like me, you know, who's not a musician to also start working. You know, there's Boomi, there's endless amounts of, of applications where, you can just play around with and then at the end you you have something that sounds pretty much like music um so there's there's millions if not a billion people who are making music um and they you know most of them probably deserve an audience and not all of them are going to find one and then we come back to that question of community because you know the the potential of of that sort of 1000 true fan, 100 super fan theory is that you don't need that large an audience to kind of sustain yourself. Um, But then you do need to sort of not have to be ultra present, you know, 24 seven showing up everywhere. Um, You also need to be able to kind of make your music and to do all the things that you need to do to be a human and all that sort of stuff. (laughs) So I think if we can, work towards a balance in those things then you know we're up we're up for that brighter future i'm wondering and this is me somewhat thinking aloud if maybe we need to figure out a taxonomy for who who we are as we create so maybe we need to get rid of this idea that to really make something you have to follow a very particular professionalized monetized path right like maybe there's going to be and maybe that we're not all going to be individuals or creating something unique and finished um almost feel like we've kind of we're still really locked into a lot of 19th century categories in terms of uh you know you have to be an individual you're an artist with a capital a there's sort of genius myth like all of these things are still playing into the way people see themselves as they create and not all of us want to be or will be um, superstars and we shouldn't use the same approach as superstars or the same tools for that matter. It just seems like we've we've not yet gotten any clarity about who people are as they're making music. And, um, and everyone's kind of thrown into the same bucket. Yeah, I think that's super interesting. And I think if you look at certain really big artists... Um, they say the same stuff about other artists, right? I mean, you can listen to somebody like Trent Reznor from mm-hmm. Nine Inch Nails talk about how amazing he finds it that Radiohead can kind of not be in the media and do well, you know? Yeah. 
Um, whereas he feels he has to sort of do all the interviews and talk about his process and, you know, talk so about So the grass his, is always greener. <laughs> yeah. And, um, so it's it's not just, you know, independent artists trying to make a living. It's also sort of quite successful artists who have this this same problem. Um, but, uh, you're, you're, you know, I, I think you're totally right in the sense that it's important to find the right words, you know. Mm. Um, that's why we also need people to do that. Um, and that's why... I mean, one of the things that's shifting and that will shift further is the way that these artists, you know, create their teams, you know, because we've, you know, we, we're talking here as if, you know, each artist needs their own community, but it's probably much easier if you kind of band together with a couple of people and, and create like a scene mm -hmm. um, or whatever you want to call it uh, and, and then find more like-minded people um, who can sit in, in and around that to kind of prop that up. You know, that's a, that's a, so probably a more healthy way to think about this whole community question is to not have to do it yourself, but to create, you know, a group of people who are doing it together um, because it's just more healthy. And a lot more fun. Yourself. It's a lot more and fun a lot more usually fun to do things time. with other humans. Yeah. Most Mostly. <laughs> All, mostly. Right. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a quick break here and we'll be right back with Martin to look at the future. Whoa, the ideas are flying fast on this episode. If you want to follow up on anything we're talking about today, we've made it easy. Head over to musictectonics.com and find this episode on the podcast page. You'll see show notes full of links and a timestamped roadmap of the conversation. We're not responsible for internet rabbit holes you tumble down in the process. Now, let's get back to the conversation. All right, we're back with Martin Walrobin to talk now about my favorite subject, which is the future. I guess that's my favorite subject. I don't know. Um, but I really want to spring my favorite question on Martin, and namely, that is, let's get sci-fi. Let's talk a little bit about what you would love to see. This is your ideal, utopian, like, future love paradise version of the music I don't want to say the industry or business, but the music scene, the music community writ large. What would you love to see in five to 10 years or here for that matter? Um, yeah, big question again. Um, the, <laughs> That's all I got are the big questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're good. You're good. Um, but I, I mean, in five to ten years, I hope there's some proper decentralization that's 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 gone on, right? So that if you have uh, a platform that becomes really really big and popular that the the artists that have made that happen are also sort of um, a part of it um, financially speaking um, and you know we have all the technology to do that so we should make that happen <laughs> um, and I think you know to to my to my last point about sort of the artist team the arts team of the future is going to look so different than the artist team sort of today already you know um, we have some great examples in, in recent years of uh, artists who stay independent and who have a great manager that they have a great working relationship with, um, sometimes until it breaks down, but who, you know, who, who, who manage to do a lot of things together um, and, and sort of have this fluid team around them. You know, examples are like uh, Ch Chance the Rapper or, mm -hmm. you know, more recently uh, Bad Bunny or um, in sort of more indie uh, uh well not that they're all indie but in the <laughs> yeah. sort of um in web3 you have verite uh, and um you know who have all these artists who who work together really well with this one person um 
and you kind of see this sort of stuff extending out a little bit. So you have uh, an artist called Jaguar Twin, who works really closely with a company called Cathedral, uh, which is a creative agency, who have kind of helped him set up his entire world-building exercise. And I hope that in like, if we talk about five to 10 years, that there will be so many artists, right, to have um, this this capacity to kind of build the worlds that they see around their music. That would be cool. And that means yeah. that they have a creative agency. That means that they have a, a bunch of developers. That means that they have um, very specific marketing qualities in their teams. Um, it means they have communities that they need to manage. It, you know, it means all of that sort of stuff. And it's just a totally different setup than what we mostly see right now. That's really exciting. I I really long to for music to take on the other dimensions that it's always kind of wanted to pull to itself in terms of in just in terms of the way music often functions in the imagination, like all the visual realm, the the sort of the sensory stuff that um, when you just hear a recording, you have to kind of re reconstruct yourself, though, I guess everyone gets to do it a little bit differently. So we'll see um, what happens. But that's really cool. I like your future. I, I, I think I'm going to go visit. <laughs> cool. And and then the the other thing of course is that uh, uh what's going to what's going to happen with all this AI stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean we're going to we're going to I think we're in a in a place um right now where we're going to where we've started to reappraise how we value things. Um how we value things that people create. And music is of course super interesting in that regard because it's essentially ephemeral. Mm -hmm. um, when it's when you hear it, right? But then you, you know we've come up with all this recorded stuff, and um, uh, we have ways of doing that, and we have ways of sort of um, keeping it as a as a record. But we are currently revaluing how we treat music, and we do this quite literally in you know with stuff like NFTs, where. If you you know if you talk to artists who are releasing NFTs, one of the things you hear back is then when they re when they sold their first NFT, they were even if it was just like you know 0 0.05 ETH, they go like, but damn, you know that's that was mm -hmm. eighty dollars or something, yeah, um, and that's a lot of money for one song. Yeah, you know? we don't pay that for music, so that's sort of a thing that is happening, and that's something that will get accelerated as we see how the creative process has changed with the use of all this new AI technology, which is going to take flight massively. You know, the, the, um, that's all going to be exponential growth in the coming years. The interest. So, yeah. 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 Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. I was going to say that's the, the, the way, I mean, I, I love to think that we will be in much more of a symbiotic relationship with AI. Um, you can already see some of this in literature in that people are kind of creating these blocks of text that they then edit and change and do all sorts of crazy stuff too, but it's all coming from GPT-3 or some other model. Um, and with music, that's already, you know, that's been happening actually probably for even longer. But the, there's no, the discussion is usually either replacement or this is garbage, right? So, the, but there's not a lot of talk of this symbiosis that is really what's evolving. Yeah, and, and, and what that will actually be like, I don't think a lot of us can really imagine that yet. Um, and then, of course, the next question to that is, and how we value that, it's also something we can't really imagine yet. Because we we don't know, right? But we do know 
that we're currently going through a phase where we are critically reevaluating how we value art. And I think those two things are going to go in tandem. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Martin, for joining me today and for, for tolerating all my big questions. Anytime, anytime. Thanks for listening to Music Tectonics. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We have new episodes for you every week. Did you know you can dig deeper into all our episodes with the show notes at musictectonics.com. While you're there, look for the latest about our annual conference, sign up for our newsletter to get updates, or get the Music Tectonics app for music tech news. Everything we do explores seismic shifts that shake up music and technology the way the Earth's tectonic plates cause quakes and make mountains. Connect with Music Tectonics on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and find me, Dimitri Vitsa, if you can spell it, on LinkedIn. Bye-bye. You're listening to Music Tectonics.